I don't know about you guys, but if I had just been raised from the dead, I can think of other things I'd rather do than take a seven-mile hike into the middle of nowhere with two B disciples. I mean, Cleopas, who's that? And the other guy doesn't even get a name. And yet, this is exactly what Jesus does. And this is what Luke writes down for us. So, they must have thought it was important. And it's up to us to try to figure out why it's so important. Well, the early Christians would have instinctively realized that this was the liturgy. That we show up to the liturgy with our disappointments, our frustrations, our shattered hopes, and we walk with Jesus and he instructs us and he explains the scriptures to us. And then he's made known to us in the breaking of the bread and then he vanishes from our sight. And then what do we do? We go and tell everybody else about him that he is truly risen. And this continues to be the flow of the liturgy. We come here, we come to this place with all the disappointments and frustrations and shattered hopes of our week and we're weary and we're tired and we listen to the words and Jesus comes and he walks alongside us. In fact, a little interesting tidbit of history that this thing that I'm standing at is typically called the Ambo. And in uh, the cathedrals of old, the ambo would sometimes be way off to the side, you know, the big high ones, or it could be in the middle of the, of the cathedral. And so you would actually have to walk to it, or the bishop would walk down the aisle to get to the ambo. And this is exactly what the word ambo means. It comes from the Latin word ambulare, which means to walk, because Jesus walks with us. And then the the scriptures are explained to us in such a way that hopefully there's a longing building in our hearts, that there's there's a fire enkindled in our hearts, that our hearts begin to long for Jesus. And as he comes down to us in the the breaking of the bread, we get a little glimpse of him. And then again, he disappears. And we wish that he could stay. We wish we could hold on to him as Mary Magdalene wished she could hold on to him. And Jesus says, don't don't grasp onto me because I've not yet ascended to my father. What's he telling us except we, we can't cling to anything in this world but set your sights on the world to come. In the heavenly reality where all of your longings will be fulfilled. And then go and tell my brothers. And this is our, our extending to. Let's go out and we, as we long for Jesus, let's tell others about him. This is also, and the liturgy is that, a microcosm of our whole life. We're all journeying together. In fact, we look at the second letter from St. Peter here. And he says this, he says, Conduct yourselves with reverence during your time of sojourning. This sojourning, in other translations, in this time of exile. You are not at home here. We're sojourners. We're travelers like Abraham traveling from his home country. Like the Israelites traveling through the desert for many years. Like Jesus himself who says, I have no place to lay my head. 
This word sojourning comes from the Greek word parakois. And in that word, uh, we get our word for parochia, which is the word we get and we say in English, perish. Literally, it means to stand outside of the house. I'm not inside of the house. I'm homeless. I'm journeying. I'm a wayfarer. And that's exactly what we are. We're journeying outside of the house, away from our homeland, trying to get to the promised land. And in this time of sojourning, Peter says, conduct yourselves with reverence. The word there in the Greek is actually phobo, phobia, fear. This reverential fear and awe. The opposite of reverence is to grasp, to cling on to, to hold on to. But when we're face to face with a great mystery, the mystery of Christ's death and resurrection, the mystery of the Holy Eucharist, the mystery of the the, the word, we have to conduct ourselves in reverence. We can't, we can't grasp, we can't cling. So sometimes our mind wants to cling on to things that we understand. It wants, to, it wants to grasp it, it wants to dissect it. But the Christian mind says, I'm just gonna stand here in awe, in awe of the mystery. I think there's, there's two moments in the mass where this, this idea comes to fruition in a really beautiful way. The first is the very beginning of mass. And I'm talking of the procession. The, the, the ministers, the servers, the priests, we process into the sanctuary, which is what? Well, it's the symbol of heaven. It's not heaven, but it's the symbol of heaven. And the only way you can enter it is through the narrow gate. And only, only then, by first dying. So this is why we genuflect before we enter into the sanctuary. If you come to the liturgy on Good Friday, you see the priest actually prostrate himself all the way flat on the ground to signify his death. I've died with Christ and I've rose with him. Only, so, only by that can I enter into the heavenly realm. So we enter into to heaven and we, we, we go up the Mount of Calvary. And it's there that the priest calls down the true and living bread, the bread of life. You can think of it as him reaching up and pulling down the sacred host. And then the next procession is your procession, your communion procession. We come forward signifying again life's pilgrimage, my exile, I'm sojourning, we're wandering, we're, we're, walking, uh, we're walking in this world away from our home and towards our true heavenly home and we want to just run right into heaven but we get to the front and we realize there's a barrier, there's a separation. I can't just enter into heaven because the separation, the barrier is death and until the Lord comes for me, I have to stay on this side of the veil. But the Lord doesn't abandon his children. And so at the time of communion, the priest comes along and as it were, he reaches over the veil. He reaches from heaven down to us on earth and feeds us with the bread of life. You notice the 
altar rail is covered with a cloth right now. That's just because we've been doing some work on it. Uh, we, we've made it a little bit more firm. It was a little bit wobbly on one side. We painted it, touched it up. We, add, we found the extra pieces, so we added a little bit to it. And the one thing that remains is to put the top back on, the marble top, which will happen tomorrow. But it's not accidental that the marble top of the altar rail is the same marble top on the altar itself. Because this is a mini altar. And just as the priest, the ministerial priest, celebrates and calls down at the altar of sacrifice, so too do we come and commune at the altar table ourselves because we are all baptized into Christ's priesthood. We're all priests. Peter will say later in this same letter, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And so as we come, we approach the Lord. We come with our disappointments, our frustrations, our buried hopes, and we lay them on the altar. And the Lord feeds us with his very self. And we long for him. We wish we could stay with him, but we can't. And we have to go out to the world and tell others about him. This is the mystery of the Mass. And this is the mystery in which we have to stand in reverential awe. We can't grasp onto it. We can't dissect it. We can't manipulate it. We can't turn it into something that, that of, our, of our own making and our own creation. We have to receive it as it comes to us. And so we do. We come here. And what, what are the things that you're frustrated by this week? What are the things that you're disappointed by? What hopes have been shattered? Bring them to the Lord. Even other things in the liturgy sometimes, like we could be frustrated. That like, well, why is the music so somber all the time? Well, because we're not in heaven yet. There's a psalm, Psalm 137, uh, written during a time when the Jews were in exile, literal exile. And they said, there on the rivers of Babylon, we hung up our harps on the poplars that grew there. It was there that our captors asked us for song, our oppressors for joy. But how could we sing to the Lord a song of joy on alien soil? So this reminds us that we're not home. We're not there. Maybe it's the Latin that kind of frustrates us. Like, I don't understand what's being said. Exactly. Because in heaven, we'll understand every angelic word that's sung majestically. Maybe it's the Pope who's disappointing you. Maybe it's the bishop. Maybe it's your pastor. He disappoints me a lot. But guess what? We're just, we're just a mere foreshadowing of the true father, the real pastor, the good shepherd. And so it's, it's incumbent upon us to bring those things to the Lord so that he can transform them into a longing, so we can set our hearts on fire for the true things, the true homeland. We don't grasp on them, we don't cling to them now, but we await his coming and we wait our opportunity to enter into, not the, not the sanctuary made by human hands, but the sanctuary in heaven true homeland. 
And so, my brothers and sisters, let's bring our disappointments, our frustrations, our shattered hopes, let's bring them to our own altar. Let's allow the Lord to transform them into a longing, a longing, a desire, a burning that can only be satisfied by him in the true heaven.